Yeah. I've never heard someone say it's not just about what you eat. It's about what you're taking in through all of your senses. Um, yeah. which I think right now with social media, um, mm-hmm. it's a problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. I mean, those apps are designed to be addictive mm-hmm. They're de- and we're wired to compare ourselves to others. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte. I'm really delighted to bring our guest to you today. She is Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and she has over 20 years of experience practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, and she helps people learn how to use Ayurveda. And I know that that might sound like a strange term, especially to people in the United States listening. So I wanted to explain a little bit more about what Ayurveda is, and this is an ancient Indian medical practice, and it's considered integrative in Western medicine, but it's actually traditional medicine in India. And it means science of life and teaches that health and wellness come from a balance of mental physical, emotional, and spiritual health. It takes a holistic approach with a large focus on nutrition, stress management, and movement. Sounds familiar. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, she's the author of the health catalyst and the host of the healing catalyst podcast. And she's given me permission to call her Avanti today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm really excited for this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Morgan. I'm so happy to be here to talk to you. Yeah. Let's start with your story. That's typically where I like to start with people. Um, So tell us your story. How did you, first of all, get into Western medicine Mm -hmm. and then how did you kind of find the Ayurveda that has really influenced your own health and then your career trajectory? Yeah. So it's a common story, I think, for many health professionals who have a health crisis of their own and go looking for answers outside of maybe the training that they've had uh, or the Western um, medical paradigm, right? Um, I am South Asian, first generation. My parents immigrated from India. I was born and raised in Chicago, actually. And, um, you know, they came here to give myself and my sister a better life, to be able to educate us. And so really, you know, it was drummed into me at a very early age, study as much as you can, get the highest degrees, the most education. And so I set my sights on medical school and because I knew I wanted to be in a helping profession of some kind. And so Western medicine, having an MD was sort of the direction I went in and never really thought about any other forms of medicine. But I grew up in a South Asian household, which is where uh, where Ayurveda comes from. And, you know, Ayurveda is how we lived our lives. It was just the way we did things, how we ate, how we, um, the routines we had every day. It was never called out as Ayurveda. It was cultural. It was ingrained in how we did things, right? And so for the entire, you know, first 25 years of my life when I was living at home and even through 
my university years as an undergrad, um, even though I was living away from home, I really maintained a lot of these different routines, this lifestyle, and was very healthy. You know, I was very lucky. I didn't have any health issues. And then came along my medical training and everything changed, right? And I started to develop all kinds of health issues from mild headaches to more severe stomach aches, um, constipation, back pain, plantar fasciitis. I mean, it goes on and on. And I started looking for answers in Western medicine because that's what I was being trained in mm-hmm. um, and went to my colleagues and peers and had all the blood tests and had all the image, like had all the things. And there was no answer except Avanti, you're really, really stressed. You have a lot of roles and responsibilities. You know, I was a young mother. I had my children in medical school, got married in medical school. Um, and so I had a lot of different roles and responsibilities. So they were sort of like, of course, this is how you're feeling. And yes, stress was definitely a part of the story, but it wasn't the whole story. And I started to reflect on the first part of my life at that point and how I was so incredibly healthy and what was the difference, right? And it really came down to the way that I was living my life on a daily basis, that I was living according to the principles of Ayurveda in the first part of my life when I was really healthy. And when I wasn't, when I was feeling all these symptoms and having all these issues, It was because I was not living in that way. So it really was a very simple answer to me. And so I started, and again, it didn't happen overnight. I started changing things. I started becoming aware and conscious and really started to study more. And that is really what took me into Ayurveda, a deeper study, wanting to share this and really leaving Western medicine. I don't practice Western medicine anymore. I practice Ayurveda and yoga therapy exclusively. Um, and yeah, so that's that's really very quickly my story, sort of a shortened version of my story. Yeah, well, help us understand the principles of Ayurveda, because I think even if you don't um, ascribe to that word, I think it's important. Let's find the common threads in Ayurveda with, for example, like lifestyle medicine or just healthy mm-hmm. habits or whatever you want to sure. call them. What are some of those principles that you grew up mm-hmm. with? fell away from, and then learned again on your own, which Mm -hmm. I think speaks so highly, right? Like that's where the best learning comes from is from our own experience and independent learning, not what someone else is being taught to like, not what someone else is teaching us through a medical curriculum, which we know is likely influenced by big pharmaceutical companies as I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell us about these pillars of Ayurveda. Yeah. So let's start with what Ayurveda is for, you know, many of your listeners who maybe this is their first exposure to it. You know, Ayurveda is the oldest healing tradition known. It's 5,000 years old. It predates every other healing tradition. Uh, In fact, TCM or traditional Chinese medicine comes from Ayurveda. So as you listen more, as your listeners hear more about Ayurveda, they're going to see some similarities, similarities between Ayurveda and TCM because TCM comes from Ayurveda. Um, The other thing to know about Ayurveda is that it is a sister science of yoga. So yoga uses Ayurveda and Ayurveda uses yoga. Okay. Um, Really when it comes down to it, the basic essence of Ayurveda is that when you live in harmony with nature, you will have optimal health and a vibrant life like, and stop. That's like really what it comes down to the very simplified way of looking at it. And that is because we believe in Ayurveda that everything in the universe, including human beings, everything in nature, animals, plants, everything are made of the same five elements, air, space, fire, water, and earth. 
And so the idea is that the microcosm is in the macrocosm. We're connected. So when we have those things in balance within and also without, when we're in balance with what's outside of us and within us, we'll have optimal health, mm -hmm. right? So that's really the basic um, idea behind Ayurveda. Um, now, the way that I really sort of talk about it and teach about it is from the perspective of what can we um, as normal everyday people do and use from Ayurveda ourselves without necessarily having to go to an Ayurvedic practitioner. Although I always suggest for anybody who really wants to dive deeper and learn more, you should be working with an Ayurvedic practitioner to help guide you um, because there's a lot of nuances to what I'm talking about. Now I'm, I make it a little simpler so that more people can access it. And that was, that's sort of the promise and sort of the, the purpose behind my work is to have people have a starting point with Ayurveda and then go deeper from there right? Mm -hmm. Either with work with me or with another practitioner. And so, you know, really the place to start is these three areas of remedies that I have written about in my book and, you know, write about on my website. And it's sort of what I teach is uh, sort of a pyramid. If you can picture, you know, it's called the optimizing health pyramid. And at the base of that pyramid is routines. Ayurveda is very, very based on routines, what we do daily, seasonally, time of life wise, right? Um, because what you do consistently affects your health greatly. And that's sort of that lifestyle medicine piece that you were mm -hmm. talking about, right? And it also, um, from my perspective, you know, I think sort of what is so interesting for me coming from a Western medical background and also having an Ayurvedic um, upbringing and then deeper study is looking at how what we were doing in Ayurveda 5,000 years ago actually correlates um, or is validated by the Western medical science that we have now. The data proves what we knew 5,000 years ago, right? So this idea of circadian rhythm, circadian medicine is what we were talking about in Ayurveda with these daily routines, right? It's actually, it lines up exactly. The second area of remedy, sort of the middle of that, that pyramid I was talking about is diet. And when we're talking about diet in Ayurveda, we're talking about everything, not just food, but everything that comes into all five senses. Mm -hmm. And the idea here is that digestion is the seed of health. When you're working with an Ayurvedic practitioner, the thing that they are trying to assess right away when they're consulting with you is what is the state of your digestion? How strong is your digestive fire or agni? That's what we're trying to assess. And again, that really lines up with what we found in Western medicine lately, right? In the past yeah. 15 years or so, this idea of the gut brain, the fact that digestion and gut microbiome influences every aspect of health. Right. So that's the second area of remedy. And the third area of remedy at the top of the pyramid is what I call the tools of yoga. Okay. Um, and I'm very specific saying tools of yoga because I'm also a yoga therapist, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, that's almost a thousand hours of training in yoga. I bet. Yeah. And yeah, and, and really what we're trying to do in yoga therapy is to take back yoga to what it is. It's not just the postures. It's not just asana. That is a very Western uh, sort of colonized approach to yoga. Um, and that is not what yoga is. So I'm very specific saying the tools of yoga, because there's many tools in yoga. There's everything from meditation to mm -hmm. breath work, um, chanting or mantra, visualization, 
and the postures, right? Um, and here, how that sort of lines up or aligns with medical science, it's actually the area that's been most well studied in Western science, right? Meditation, uh, breath work, we know the data, we know how that influences every aspect of the human system, every uh, system in the body, every organ in the body, right? We we have the data so much so that, you know, most of my peers and colleagues that are Western medical doctors can't ignore the data. And they're yeah. starting to write yoga as a prescription on their prescription pads for their patients. Um, and really what we're doing here is we're shifting the nervous system from a sympathetic uh, state, an acute stress response into a parasympathetic or relaxation state, right? It's that vagal stimulation. And that's a lot of what the tools of yoga can do to help manage that uh, stress response and inflammatory response, right? We know every chronic illness is linked to inflammation. Mm -hmm. Inflammation is directly related to stress response. Um, and so that's a little bit, I've, I've said a lot in the past oh, couple no. minutes. There's so much to unpack here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like to say, um, for example, this morning, so I've been really into my morning workouts, getting up before the kids. Um, and I, I just really noticed a boost in my energy mm -hmm. and I feel like, oh, okay, I've accomplished something for the day. This is fantastic. But this morning I was really feeling called to do more gratitude. And I said, and like more journaling and I, I do mindset work every single morning. And I was like, that's okay. I'm just exercising my consciousness and exercising. I like to say, let's exercise our parasympathetic nervous system. Right. I think for people who like myself are like, go, go, go mm -hmm. sitting down and taking deep breaths and meditating and journaling mm -hmm. and relaxing can seem like a waste of time. And I think we have to debunk that. And we have to really appreciate if you can start your day in a grounded state, the rest of right. your day will go so much better. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we need to unpack that for sure. But before we do that, I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you the question, how, how did we shift from these foundational tools of health? Meaning, you know, mm -hmm. you, you say catalyst because we, we all can heal ourselves from within. Correct. Yes. How did we shift from that self-empowered model of holistic healing mm -hmm. to Western medicine, which is more of a, you know, top down, the doctor's going to tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Where did the disconnect come in? You know, I don't know that I have the answer to that, right? It's, it's a complex issue. One that I think I debate with a lot of people, you know, both my friends who are Western medical doctors, a lot of my friends who are in integrative medicine, and then also many of my friends who are in the integrated healing sciences and traditions. And I think, you know, it's important to remember that Western medicine has its roots in Ayurveda in these healing traditions. I think that it was when we started to really move away from sort of the art of medicine to more the science of medicine. And it's not to say I don't believe that that's very important. I, I am, you know, again, I'm a Western trained doctor yeah. and I absolutely believe that the integration of Eastern healing traditions, specifically for me, Ayurveda and yoga with Western medicine is absolutely critical. I think that Western medicine has a lot of answers, but it's not the whole story. It doesn't have all the answers, right? And that was my personal experience and the experience that many of my clients and students have had. Um, I think that when 
when we started focusing on the science and all the data and the studies and the technology, again, all really good things, we forgot about the art of medicine, which is that human connection between a physician and the patient of really understanding someone's story of understanding yeah. what's going on for them on a daily basis, and then being able to make simple recommendations in lifestyle of, you know, of you're telling me about X, how about you try Y? And it's not something that's a pharmaceutical um, answer or another lab test or an image or surgery, right? I feel like that's probably what happened. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are starting to move back towards this understanding that you need both. You need the art and the science of medicine. You can't have one or the other. Both are important because to say that we don't need the science and the, the data and the technology is silly, right? Mm -hmm. That that's not realistic because we heal so many, we help people with so many things with these advances in medicine, with the data, with the information of how does this affect people, right? But then there's that piece that they're missing, which is that human interaction of how much you can get from your patients, from, from the people that you're trying to heal just by hearing their story, right? Mm -hmm. And hearing that, oh, you know, they are working all night or they're working into the late hours of the night. Okay. Well, right there, we know the answer is sleep disturbance, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, extended, uh, stimulation of the brain with light, which is affecting the brain's perception of, you know, is it night or day? And then right. it affects which hormones are released. Right. So everything from a lifestyle perspective, these simple things that we find out when we talk to our patients, when we talk to the people we're helping, that art of medicine actually correlates with everything that's happening physiologically in the body. So the hormone, sorry, so the hormonal disturbance that we're seeing in somebody, yes, we can see that on a lab test, but the answer could be as simple as, oh my God, this person is staying up until one o'clock every morning you know, with fluorescent lights. Yeah. yeah. Right. It can be simple. I, I think part of it too, is the uh, invention of medications, you know, and then, then they had something specific and concrete to do that was simple. That was fast. You know, my brother's a physician, he's in his fellowship for plastic surgery. And so we've talked about this before. And I was like, Brad, why do doctors just prescribe medicine and Western medicine? He's like, cause it's fast and they don't believe their patients are going to do anything that they tell them to do. So why waste the time on the conversation? And it's like, wow, I hope you have a be better bedside manner than that. Like when you're yeah. treating patients that it's like, mm -hmm. I think that it really comes down to they're looking for a diagnosis and correct me if I'm wrong, but is that how you were trained in Western medicine was to look for a diagnosis and then match a medication to the diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, okay, here are the symptoms that someone's telling you that they have. Let's do a differential, figure out what it is, right? Assign a diagnosis, a name, a cause, right? And then fix the problem, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of that transactional. There's so much nuance to that though, right? And again, I'm not saying that the medication isn't necessary, the surgery, right. the images, the labs are not necessary for more information. Absolutely. They are, you know, many times they are, but the art of asking these questions of having that bedside manner of having that relationship with the patient, that art of medicine, that I think is where we need to go back to. And I think that when we can bring those in harmony 
we're going to have a better result for our patients and the people that we're trying to help. And there'll be less dissatisfaction with Western medicine, right. which is a huge problem right now. Right? It's a big problem. Yeah. I think we were talking offline about how mm-hmm. you know Ayurveda is really found founded in prevention principles. It's like, yes. let's live a healthy lifestyle. And then we don't have to retroactively deal with so much disease. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a really big benefit. And I want to dive into a little bit more of the specific recommendations regarding the rituals, the diet, and then at the top, the tools of yoga. Okay. So let's start at the base of the pyramid that I was talking about that optimizing health pyramid, which is routines. Okay. Daily rituals, what we do daily. Um, I think the best way to start, let's, let's talk about why this matters so much, right? I kind of alluded to it earlier, which is circadian medicine. It's circadian rhythm, right? Really what we're doing is we're resetting our circadian rhythm on a daily basis by aligning to the path of the sun through the sky, right? So simple things, you go to sleep when nature sleeps, you wake up when nature wakes, right? The invention of lighting (laughs) allows us to stay up all night when it's dark outside, right? So again, it's this idea of how do you align and become in harmony with the rhythms of nature. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about routines um, in Ayurveda. So simple things, you know, making sure that you are going to sleep by 10 p.m. if you can. I know that's hard for some people, but really, you know, your body needs, and again, we know the physiology of why this is important. We do. Our bodies need that time overnight to rest, to digest, to repair, right? To process, to eliminate toxins. That's what's happening when we're sleeping. That's so important. And if we have reduced sleep, not enough sleep, again, in Ayurveda, the toxins start to build up, which then leads to symptoms, illness, chronic disease. So it all, you know, sort of follows. The other thing that we're doing is that, you know, again, that decrease in light that's perceived by the brain is what activates the release of melatonin and sort of the stopping of cortisol. Mm -hmm. And those are two hormones that are so important sleep, like in the sleep wake cycle, but also have a cascade of hormones that come after that. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, if you have somebody who has a lot of hormonal imbalance, dysregulation of their, let's say their hypothalamus, uh, pituitary adrenal access, access, it's, that's what's happening, right? It's something as simple as syncing with the sun with when you sleep and when you wake up again, people want to make it really complicated. It's not complicated, right? The next thing is what time do you wake up? Waking up with the sun, right? Trying to wake up between 6 and 7 p.m., not sleeping until 10 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. And again, what I should say, and I want to stop and say this, is that with every, you know, uh, with this whole discussion of remedies and the recommendations that I'm making, it's based on this idea of awareness, right? Of living consciously, of living with awareness, of noticing that if I wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning, how do I feel? Versus if I wake up at 9.30 or 9 or 8, you know, as you move it back, how do I feel, right? Because that becomes the why as to why to do it, Mm -hmm. right? And you're also doing something for your hormonal regulation, for your physiology, your circadian rhythm, which is in every cell of your body. So that would be the second thing that I would suggest, you know, is really look at your sleep and your wake times from a routines perspective. That's a simple place to start. It's it. There's a lot more to that, but 
so we can get through everything. So what would be the next ritual? We know that we want to go to bed when it gets dark. We know that we want to wake up when it's light in an ideal world. Mm -hmm. What are some other daily rituals taught Mm -hmm. in Ayurveda to kind of nourish the body in all the ways it needs? Mm -hmm. So another thing that you can also do is really regulate your meal times. Okay. Okay. Um, Really, really thinking about when you're eating, making sure that you eat your largest meal at lunch. Um, And there are many Ayurvedic reasons for that. As far as digestive fire goes, it's strongest in the middle of the day, making sure that you stop eating by 7 PM. Again, you want to make sure that your body has time to deal with everything that's coming through the day and not dealing with new food that's coming in at the end of the day, right? So you want to give it time to process everything and not just go to sleep on a full stomach. So um, making sure that those are two things, the biggest meal at lunch, and between anywhere from 10 to 1 p.m. in the day or 10 to 2 p.m. And then making sure dinner is a little bit lighter and before 7 p.m. So those are some easy rituals as far as um, things that you can do on a daily basis. Um, and there are many self-care practices, but I, I don't think that I can go into all of those right now. So um, what would be some like what are some of your personal favorites? I mean, you know, so everything from whether it's toxin removal in the morning with, you know, uh, cleaning out your senses. Um, self-oil massage is very, very good. It's a practice called Abhyanga. It's a very powerful self-care practice that can help to mm. um, nourish the tissues, nourish the nervous system, nourish the skin tissue and calm the nervous system down. Um, that is a very powerful practice. So those are some examples of some other things that you can do. Okay. Do you do, well, maybe this will, we'll get to that in the tools of yoga. I was going to ask about like daily mindset work or meditation. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. talk about diet next, because sure. that was kind of the second one. Yeah. I never heard someone say, it's not just about what you eat. It's about what you're taking in through all of your senses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which I think right now with social media, um, mm-hmm. it's a problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. I mean, those apps are designed to be addictive mm-hmm. They're de- and we're wired to compare ourselves to others. Right. And so I think for me, especially I get on it for work purposes and I get mm-hmm. off and I don't, I don't right. look at anything because sure. never, ever have I gotten on social media and think, I'm so glad that I consumed that content. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'd rather listen, you know, read an yeah. audio book or listen to a podcast or like something that's right. more productive with my time. Right. But what do you mean by diet? If we can kind of start from the macro and yeah. work our way down to the sure. micro level. So diet is everything that we're taking in to our human system, right? So that's coming in through all of our senses, not just through the mouth and taste into our GI system, but it's what we take in through our eyes, what we've taken through our ears, our nose, through our skin, right? Through the sense of touch. And so it's a very, very um, holistic view at what diet is, right? Because you can be eating the most quote, clean, whatever that means diet. I have people say this to me every time they come to a talk uh, or a lecture or keynote, you know, Dr. Kumar saying I have eliminated X, Y, and Z from my diet and I still don't feel well. Well, let's take a look at some other things that might be going in. What are you taking in? What's your media diet? What are you taking in through your other senses, right? The other piece of this is this idea of toxin accumulation. Okay. So again, we're taking in these, these, uh, this food, (laughs) 
right? Mm -hmm. From all of our senses. And if our body, if our digestion is not strong enough, and this gets to the digestive fire, we can't keep what we need and get rid of the rust. If our digestive fire is really, really weak, we're not going to be able to do that efficiently. If it's strong and healthy, we keep what we need, we get rid of the rust. Toxins don't accumulate. Now that unfortunately is not the uh, the most common thing. Most people have a weak digestion or an erratic digestion. And so thinking about the toxins and where they're coming in from, right? We look at all aspects of life in Ayurveda. It's not just about the food, right? The t- sources of toxins come from all aspects of life from our lifestyle and routines, from our relationships, from our environment, you know, the spaces that we live, work and play in from our diet, again, and an expanded version of the diet. And then from our career, our work, our passions, those are the five main areas that we really look at. And we consider again, you know, so my question to many of those people who will come to me and say, I don't feel good. I've eliminated all these things from the food that I'm eating. Well, have you considered Are the toxins coming from a relationship, from your career, Mm -hmm. from your environment and the light bulbs go off, right? So it's not just about the food. So that's really what we talk about in Ayurveda is really becoming aware of where are the toxins coming from? Why am I not feeling well today? Right. And this goes back to that awareness piece and saying, okay, I woke up with a headache and it's a mild headache okay, I don't need to freak out and you know try and fix it and all that stuff. I'm not telling people that they should do that, but become aware, become conscious and say, okay, I, I notice I have a headache. And then this continues for a few weeks. So now you're noticing that this headache has been coming and going for the past few weeks. Start to look at where's the headache coming from? Because the symptom is a result of some kind of toxin accumulation, right? That's what we believe in Ayurveda. And so if you have toxins accumulating, where are they coming from? Where's the toxic load coming from? Is it coming from my relationships? Oh yeah. I've been having a really difficult time with my partner or Mm -hmm. my boss, or I have not been uh, really following my routines, my sleep. I've been sleeping really late because I'm working on a presentation, right? You get the idea here and you start to tease out, you know, where is the toxin um, the toxins coming from, how is it accumulating and then showing up as the symptom? So that's a little bit about the diet from yeah, the diet perspective. Yeah. I'm interested. So we talked about like the digestive fire, but some of those toxins, and maybe I'm just being naive here, mm-hmm. but they're not actually maybe physically excreted like a thought toxin I'm thinking about. So I deal with a lot of people who have, um, right. like limiting thoughts or, yep. They have um, severe language around food. We talk about Mm -hmm. that a lot. Um, And the thoughts are actually creating, and they're subconscious. A lot of times people don't even recognize them in themselves. And I'm like a little ear back to them. Mm -hmm. And they're producing feelings of negativity and anxiety and hopelessness and Mm -hmm. fear. Right. And my assumption would be that's a thought toxin. Correct. That didn't necessarily, maybe it did someday come into them, but it certainly is in their brain. Mm -hmm. 
what do we do for like the thought toxins? And maybe I'm just trying to kind of align like my experience with your practice mm-hmm. and get some wisdom mm-hmm. out of you on that. Aspect. Right. And so that's where you start moving to the tools of yoga, right? So this awareness is the first piece, right? And then we can go to sort of this mindset work that you were alluding to before, you know, whether it's journaling or meditation, whatever it is as a way to eliminate those toxins, right? Because digestive fire, yes, it helps to eliminate toxins. It helps to move things around, keep what you need, get rid of the rest. But also involved in that is the the toxins that are coming from the thoughts, like you said, or from the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And there are other practices you can do to help your digestive fire deal with the toxins. So whether it's routines and, you know, uh, really regulating and synchronizing your circadian rhythm, right? Because again, all the hormones that are influenced by light and the cascade of them, you know, later have an influence on our ability to process and repair, which is toxin elimination, right? It all feeds into each other, you know? And then again, with um, mindset work, again, it's exactly what you were saying. It's that these toxins are coming from mindset, from the thoughts. And so how do you eliminate those? How do you get rid of them, get them out of the human system so that they don't accumulate? Because when they start to accumulate, it turns into anxiety, it turns into overwhelm, it turns into depression, whatever it is, right, for you. Um, and that's why these practices are so effective. I mean, there's also the physiology, physiology, oh my gosh, physiology, I think. Yeah, there's also the physiological things that are happening, right? We know that meditation uh, creates neuroplasticity in the brain, right? Those new neural pathways can be trained. Um, And that is part of what happens with eliminating those toxins. You're creating new pathways of thought, new thought patterns, right? Um, So I, I've, I could talk about this all day. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating how everything aligns and lines up and sort of, you know, the, the ancient practice is actually affecting the physiology, which is why this, that, and the other happens, which then creates a symptom. It's so interesting. It is. I don't know if it was a Zibli member or someone on Instagram messaged me and they were like, it was crazy to see my blood sugar response went down after meditation. Like she was wearing a continuous glucose monitor. And so to see like Mm -hmm. the data with the meditation. So I wanted to talk with you about, about the tools, especially as it, uh, um, especially as it relates to someone who struggles to sit still. So I think that if someone is in big need of these tools of yoga, Mm -hmm. they may be depressed they may have anxiety, they may have uh, hyperactivity or ADHD, and mm-hmm. just the word meditating makes them feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And so how do you help people start? Like, what are the best starting tools, mm-hmm. um, to work on that mindfulness practice to like remove the thought toxins? Mm-hmm. So I think the important thing to remember is that meditation does not have to be on a mat seated in a lotus pose, right? Let's get that out of our our heads, right? That again is a very Western culture um, sort of idea of what meditation is. Um, Yes, it was traditionally done that way, but that's not 
all that, you know, meditation is that flow state that we talk about also in sports medicine and sports psychology, really, right? Just, yeah. Will you describe yeah. that a little bit more? Cause yeah. So I, I mean, the flow, st- yeah, that flow state, you know, that you'll hear athletes talk about, you know, the runner's high, you know, when they're running and they just, they're in flow and they can perform better. They can go longer and they have all this creativity. You know, many people who are avid runners are creatives and they find that they have um, so much information that they're able to put together when they go on a run, right? Um, This is really the idea that you're creating that neuroplasticity. That is a moving meditation of sorts, right? The idea in meditation, according to Ayurveda and yoga, is really the definition of meditation is the ability to focus on something to still the mind. Now, you cannot empty your mind. This idea that you can mm-hmm. empty your mind of all the thoughts is ridiculous. It's not true. Can I make right? a joke really quick? Unless, yeah. you're, unless you're a man. Like, just kidding, though. But yeah. I, I think my <laughs> husband would argue that he can just sit there and think about nothing. Yeah. Or, Anyhow. or you're not alive, right? I yeah. mean, you're always going to be thinking, living, breathing. <laughs> um, so that idea is ridiculous, but you know, it's this idea of, yeah, you have all the thoughts that come in. How can you then bring yourself back to a point of focus? So for many people doing a moving meditation allows them to bring back to a point of focus. They're moving but it's meditative for them because they're not engaged in all of the other chatter, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. And so that's, I think the the first place is to start is to redefine and really understand what meditation really I is. I love that. You know? I, and it's just focusing. Yeah. And that's it's, it. It's just focusing on something. Yeah. It's this ability to have a point of focus, right? Okay. Um, and the other thing to remember is that it doesn't have to be for 30 minutes or yeah. 10 minutes. Start with three minutes, start with one minute, start with 30 seconds and build from there. And so anybody who's feeling a lot of anxiety, like, am I doing it right? Do I know how to do it? I won't be able to do it. Start with 30 seconds, put a timer on your, your phone, you know, Mm -hmm. have a reminder to just sit still, try and have a point of focus, whether it's visual, you know, you're looking at a flower or a candle, or you're looking out the window, or you're going for a little walk around the block right? And all you're thinking about is your feet going one step at a time, right? That is, you have a point of focus. That's meditation. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it does, but I have a follow-up question. So I really like the fit on app. Um, and I'll do like a, a hit workout in the morning or something like that. And I feel really good because I don't think about anything else. And when I used to teach jazzercise, that was my favorite part was I couldn't think about anything else because mm-hmm. I was already giving instructions and moving my body. And I'm like, my psychomotor skills mm-hmm. are tapped out. Like I can't mm-hmm. do anything else. Right. So is that meditation, even when I'm engaging with technology or other people? Meh. I don't know. I mean, you know, does it count? It can't, I mean, I guess it's, it's really, I, I don't know that I can make a judgment on that. Like, I think whatever works for you works for you. I do think that there is some beauty in stilling the mind where you're not giving directions to people or not communicating with others, you know, sitting in silence in stillness is important. Um, instilling your mind, quieting your mind in some way is super important. I think that's really um, the focus of meditation. So I don't know that that would necessarily be meditation. Maybe just like social interaction, uh, <laughs> which for the socialites, they, they were probably all hoping that that would count. So what <laughs> about, um, 
the meditation apps. So like the calm Mm -hmm. app and Mm -hmm. other apps, Mm -hmm. I've never personally tried those. Mm -hmm. Would you consider, I have tried like some YouTube meditations. Mm -hmm. Would you consider guided meditations? Yeah. So those are very much. Those Those are are good to do. Okay. Yeah. I think the meditation apps are a great great place for people to start. You know, uh, a lot of them have free versions. I know mm-hmm. insight timer has a free version, um, really great place. Or even just going, like you said, to YouTube and getting some free meditations There's some great ones out there. Yeah. Um, guided meditations are definitely very, very, uh, beneficial. Okay. Um, so we have the practice of meditation, which is the ability to focus mm-hmm. and ideally doing so in a way that brings you to the present moment kind mm-hmm. of calming versus Mm -hmm. like what I was doing was like exercise, Mm -hmm. um, and paying attention to someone else. Right. So we want to kind of pay attention to us and exactly. And and that's really the important thing is that is it's an inward focus, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, again, you can be doing movement and exercise running, but there's an inward focus, right? You're not (laughs) teaching someone how to run, you know, you know what? I bet a lot of people are really scared of that. Like, Mm -hmm. Personally, I, I know that that scares me a little bit because sometimes Mm -hmm. when you sit in silence, new ideas pop up or new thoughts pop up, or for some people who really, really struggle with negative critical self-talk, it just comes so loud. And I think that that's kind of a barrier is like, people know if they sit in silence and they connect with themselves, they might not like what they hear. Exactly. So then what do you do? Well, that's, that's a lot of work that you have to start doing either with, you know, a therapist or another, you know, facilitator. Um, there are so many ways. I mean, that's a very big topic to get into, but yeah, you know, sitting still sitting in stillness brings up the stuff. And a lot of us have spent a very long time avoiding the stuff at all costs, yeah. right? Busying ourselves, um, using anything we can to numb ourselves, whether it's social media or food or drugs or shopping or gambling, right? These are all coping mechanisms to numb and avoid dealing with our stuff, right? So um, I don't know that I have an answer to that, um, except again, always start, I always go back to the suggestion of awareness, become aware of what you're doing, Right yeah, I'm engaging in this behavior after I'm, you know, really upset about something. What's that about? How do I feel while I'm engaging in that behavior? How do I feel after I engage in that behavior? Did it solve any problems? Become aware, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's the most important piece. Yeah. And I think also re- removing the judgment of your own thoughts. Um, someone right. in our office hours today, we were talking a lot about like this mindset stuff. And I asked people what their big takeaways were, and I can't word it as well as she did, but she was like, your brain doesn't pass judgment, you know, upon the thoughts that it mm-hmm. just, it just thinks it, you know? Right. And then we pass judgment on it. And so I think right. when you bring that awareness to it, also consider removing any judgment that yeah. you have. Exactly for the thoughts that come up. Um, so yeah, meditation is one tool. You might get some, you know, crappy thoughts that come to the surface, in which Mm -hmm. case I personally, I think journaling is the best way for me to deal with my crap. And I, Mm -hmm. I know that that's not a very nice word. I try to try not to say that on the podcast, but there's not really a better word for it. You know, it's just the garbage that hangs out in your brain. That's holding you back. 
Right. Um, sometimes I think that counseling can help. I think you have to find the right one for you. Absolutely. Um, but I think that either like audio journaling, so like talking to an app on your phone and then re-listening to it Mm -hmm. or actually journaling. So you can go back and see the thoughts and actually cross out the ones that like don't serve you. Right. Um, I think that helps with like a thought audit to kind of remove the toxic ones. But aside from meditation, some calming, maybe some journaling, what are some other tools of yoga? Because I'm sure myself included, we're all just thinking about stretching. Yeah. It's not just about that. Yeah. Well, yoga is not stretching. It's, it's a okay, very, tell me that. Yeah. you know, the asanas, the postures that is not stretching. So that's again, another Western. misconception, a colonized view of what yoga is. Yoga is a integrated practice of many different tools. And the asana, the posture is actually very energetic. It's very much about bringing the mind and the breath together in the pose, right? And there's also energetic alignment that's happening in, in a pose. So it is not stretching. So I just want to make sure we really clarify that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And so another tool that you can use is the breath, you know? So again, we've talked about the mind piece, the meditation, the point of focus. And again, in an asana, in a posture, you do have a point, point of focus of being in a certain posture, right? The other part of that is the breath your breath work, right? We all breathe all day long. Do we do it a little bit consciously? Probably not, right? Because it's something that just happens. But if we can start to use our, if we can tap into the power of the breath, it's a very, very powerful medicine and tool that we can use um, throughout the day. There's two parts of the breath, the inhale and the exhale. In yoga, we actually talk about four parts of the breath, but we, we're not going to go into that. That's, a, that's more advanced. Let's just talk about the two parts. And really, it comes down to something very simple that you can remember. And it's not about doing a fancy breathwork practice, you know, the alternate nostril breathing or the, yeah, you know, the bellows that. breath. There's so many breath practices mm-hmm. that we can do um, that can become very intimidating. They're very powerful, very medicinal. Um, but again, at a basic level, if you're just starting, just remember that the inhale is activating and the exhale is calming and whichever power you want to tap into either the activating or the calming, you extend that part of the breath. So in the afternoon, you're feeling really, really like dragging. You're about to go for another cup of coffee. Try doing some breath Mm -hmm. where you're making your inhale longer than your exhale. It's that simple. You will feel a little pep. You will feel a little more energized because it's activating. The opposite of that is that let's say, you know, at night you're having a hard time going to sleep because you're, you know, your thoughts are racing or you're feeling anxiety about everything you didn't get to, right? Focus on the exhale, make it a little bit longer than the inhale. It will start to calm you down. Okay. I love that. Yeah. It's very simple and you can do it anywhere. Nobody needs to know. You know, you're in a meeting, you're feeling anxious. You just start breathing and you extend your exhale a little. You're not doing some fancy breath practice. You don't have to leave the room. Nothing like that. You're You're just one nostril. (laughs) Exactly. You're just breathing. Right. Um, So that is a very, very powerful tool. And we know from a physiological standpoint that the breath is directly directly connected to the nervous system, right? We know from physiology that, you know, that uh, image that we all learned in high school biology of the caveman running from the tiger, 
right? Mm -hmm. And that was a way to uh, explain the sympathetic nervous system, right? Our body goes into that stress response and it's ready to go. Well, what happens? The nervous system is activated. Your breath rate, your respiration increases, your heart rate increases, but notice the breath right there. It's activated that the same thing is like when the, when the stressor, when the tiger is gone, your breath rate starts to go down because your nervous system relaxes. Right. So right there, we see how the nervous system is affecting the breath. Well, if that's true, the opposite is true too. You can actually use your breath to affect your nervous system, mm-hmm. right? To take you out of a stress response by extending the exhale. So it's a, it's a really powerful um, tool, probably one of the most powerful forms of medicine and tools that we can all use in our everyday lives. So um, one question I have is, is there a certain length of time or number of breaths um, that you recommend? Because I'll tell you what, I tried some like quote unquote meditating this morning. And I Mm -hmm. personally, this is embarrassing. I get distracted Mm -hmm. after the second breath. And I was like, Ooh, I have some focus work to do. Mm -hmm. And I was aware that I was getting distracted and I brought myself back, but Mm -hmm. I kid you not. I think our attention spans are getting fried from scrolling through these, you know, 15 second TikTok and Instagram videos. Mm -hmm. So how long is ideal from like a breath work standpoint to really calm that nervous system? I mean, you have to work up to it. It's not something that you can do all at once. And so you really should start small. If you've never done something like this, because you don't want to get lightheaded, you know, if you're trying Mm -hmm. to extend your exhale or inhale, um, you know, start with 10 to 15 seconds. A, A good goal is to do a breath practice for anywhere from a minute and a half to two minutes, maybe three minutes as most. It's a very simple thing. I mean, yeah. as you as you start to get more advanced, you can definitely go up to five minute breath practice, 10 minute breath practice, you know, but again, you don't need to start there just yeah. a few minutes. And, and, you know, one suggestion I often have for many of my students and clients is, you know, put an alarm on your phone for a couple of times a day to just take a mindful pause. Right. Mm -hmm. And what you do in that mindful pause is you just literally put everything down, whatever you're working on, bring your attention to your breath. Like you were talking about, focus on the inhale and the exhale, connect with what's going on inside. So again, it's bringing that point of focus to the inside to it's an inward focus, right? And just stay there for 10 seconds, 15, whatever it is, and then come back to whatever you're doing with a greater awareness that's a mindful pause that can alone change your physiology throughout the day. Because what you're doing is you're creating these touch points, these little pauses throughout the day to calm your nervous system down. Right. So you're not in that acute stress response, 24 hours a day, which is what many of us are in, which is what you were talking about, getting these dopamine hits and the stress response from, you know, scrolling and from multitasking and going from this and that, you know, so creating some of these routines to help calm your nervous system, I think is really powerful. Mm-hmm. I think a habit stacking tool is really helpful here too. Mm-hmm. Like when I do my mindset work in the morning, I like, I read my personal faith formula. I'm always intentional to breathe during that. And then I really try to like 
stack just a smidge of meditation. I'm really encouraged that it was only a few minutes. I thought you were going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, 30, 30 minutes is great. And no. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. It's a yeah. lower bar than what I had built yeah. up in my head. Yeah. Um, and then like driving in the car, you know, like mm-hmm. that's a great opportunity to, to practice that more calm and relaxed diaphragmatic breathing. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of us are like this yeah, in the we, car. we drive like this with our shoulders mm-hmm. up, right? So just so like I try to expand the yeah. chest and breathe and mm-hmm. like thinking of different times throughout the day where it'd be a really simple thing to work in. Like maybe every single meeting that you go into uh-huh. or that you log into virtually, that's your cue to take a few deep calming, relaxing exactly. breaths, you know? Exactly. I remember when I was in my training, we had this, you know, me and a couple of my friends who are a little bit more into integrative medicine. We had this uh, idea that every time we went into the patient's room, right. Before, as we were turning, reaching for the door handle or reaching for the chart, that was our cue to take a couple deep breaths mm-hmm. to become present with what we were doing, become present with ourselves and then enter the room. And that was transformative transformative. So it's sort of what you're talking about is using that trigger of whatever you're doing in your day to habit stack and to say, okay, every time I'm going to start a new meeting, I'm going to give myself a couple minutes. And you know, that's adjusting your schedule, giving yourself that five minute (laughs) break between Uh your calls or your meetings so that you can do those things. Yeah. Or, you know, just like when we hopped on here, literally Mm -hmm. I took my deep breaths mid bio. So full disclosure, I had back-to-back meetings this afternoon, Yeah, but I caught myself in that sympathetic state. And I said, breathe, Mm -hmm. breathe. And I think we very, uh, undervalue what breath work can do, but I think what's really, really important is just to finish out emphasizing the connection between brain and body and how Mm -hmm. we can really influence our physical health from our mental health. And our mental health from our physical health, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really tied together. And I think, um, I'm realizing that a lot of people may not put those pieces together. Right. So do you want to on that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, our heads, our heads are attached to our bodies. (laughs) I I think we forget that, right. (laughs) They're attached. Mm -hmm. They're not separate. And so why do we view them as separate things that don't influence each other? They have a profound uh, influence upon each other right? They're connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, at the simplest place, it's, I mean, it's that simple, right? Yeah. Like the most basic level. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, really just becoming mindful of the fact that what's going on up here is affecting everything in your body because of the connections of the nervous system and the hormonal release, right? That affects, I mean, if you want to think about it from a more physiological, anatomical science way of thinking about it, you can think about it that way, right? The nervous system influences the endocrine system and the endocrine system affects everything that goes on in your body. So of course they're connected, right? So I think it's all the perspective change um, of how you think about these things too. Yeah. And just a really quick point for those who didn't know your adipose tissue or fat tissue is an endocrine organ. And so it's like, that is a known fact now that that releases actual hormones that communicate back and forth. And so when she just said, you know, your nervous system, your parasympathetic, your sympathetic affects your endocrine function, which is like your hormonal regulation. There it is, you know? And so I think if you are working to lose weight, 
and you feel anxiety or you feel depression and you're not putting an emphasis on your mental health, but you're only focused on the number on the scale. I really hope that this episode highlighted the importance of mental health and how your mental health will drive your physical health and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so I always like to say, we can't master our physical health before we master our mental and emotional health. You know, they just are so tied together. And I think that the other thing I like to say is, you know, we Mm -hmm. focus on like a clean eating and we need to focus on clean thinking because the thoughts will drive the behavior of eating. Um, so did you have any like last tidbits of wisdom before you kind of share with our audience where they can learn more about you? No, I think, you know, I think we've covered so much. I I would just encourage people to really become aware, you know, because I think the foundational principle in Ayurveda is that it is about conscious living, about becoming aware of why you're making the choices that you're making because that's when you can start to make changes, right? Is with awareness. It doesn't come from another coach or another facilitator or guide or physician telling you to do X, Y, and Z. They can give you all of that information. I always tell people I'm a guide. I'm a facilitator. I have a lot of knowledge from many, many years of study and training in many different things, right? And what I can do is, is share that knowledge with you. But really, it comes down to your awareness and how it fits in for you. And how do you awaken that healing wisdom within? Yeah, well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed the unique perspective and just understanding that Western medicine and the science is validating, you know, all of these ancient practices. And I think that um, I hope that this resonated with the audience and that you guys got something out of it. And can you let the audience know where they can connect with you more? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is a great place. It's avantikumarsingh.com. I have a book. You can find that there, The Health Catalyst, as Morgan mentioned. And I'm on Instagram. I am very active on Instagram. It's avantikumarsingh, my full name. And then one really great resource that for many of you who might be new to Ayurveda and trying to figure out where to start, I have a new quiz on my website. It's called, and again, you can put in avantikumarsingh backslash quiz. And it's called the energy fix quiz because energy is a big issue for so many people that I talk to. And so, you know, it's a 10 question quiz. You can just answer them and it'll spit out some results and give you some recommendations of where to start with Ayurveda and Ayurvedic practices that could help to boost your energy and your immunity and things like that. So we can check that out. Well, thank you. And for everyone still listening all the way to the end, this is your reminder to take a couple deep breaths right now. All right. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. We'll be sure to link up all the, all of your resources in the show notes today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Morgan. Yeah. Bye Avanti. Bye. Thanks for listening to the reshape your health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend to learn more and connect online. Check out the links in the show notes.